You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Well, God is good. And all the time. Look at your neighbor and say, God is good. How many were here last week? Raise your hands high. I watched... uh, a portion of it, a good portion. I still need to watch the whole thing, but we have a service day on May 14th. What's the day? May 14th. I got it right. So May 14th. And as of Friday, we had a few spots left for that team. I don't know if we do now, but you can still 19. So we have room for one. We have room for one to serve. So jump on that opportunity, and you can keep signing up. There'll be a wait list, you know, in case somebody flakes out at the last second. If they do, I'll have their name and number. One announcement, one announcement only, after that one announcement I just did. So two announcements only, prayer and worship Friday. And the right side of the room, your left was happy about it. Prayer and worship on Friday. And there was much rejoicing. Okay. We did a Daniel fast and we said that prayer was going to be a part of our life this year and that's what we're doing. So we're all going to be here. We're going to be here on time on Friday and we are going to contend and I really believe we're contending for signs, wonders and miracles to be released in New England again. Do it again, Lord, in the land of the living. Do it again in our day. Friday at 7 o'clock, we're going to be here for prayer and worship. We are going to intercede and we are going to storm the gates of heaven with boldness. Amen? All God's people set. Children, you are released. The current generation of revivalists, go. Fly, be free. We bless you. I will continue to use 80s television references until I'm the oldest one in the room and nobody knows what I'm talking about. It's less and less, but it still amuses me to no end. We were, uh, Greta and I and and my family, we were in, uh, in, I don't know who else, Steve and Gene, uh, we're out in uh, Pasadena this past week for our global summit conference with HIM, with Che On and company, and uh, it was a great time. There was a lot of meetings. Manny uh, Daphnis and his family, Fredlin, First Lady Fredlin, they were out as well, and uh, they're looking to join our HIM family, which is amazing, and uh, they're, they're awesome people, and uh, I was able to connect them with some other awesome people, and some awesome people that we might bring up here at one point or another, some good friends, and uh, it's always good to go out, and we start, started to see some of our international family come back, which was awesome. Some friends from Nepal, some friends from London, and uh, I don't know who else, but there was a lot of people there. And uh, it was fun, it was good, it was intense, uh, slightly fatiguing, 
And, uh, but I drank coffee and uh, survived the week. It was great. I didn't survive, I thrived. Amen. Because you know how much I love to people for 14 hours a day. There was about, a, you know, halfway through that I was really missing my man cave, you know, and, and the Hilton just doesn't, doesn't quite cut it. But God is good. I want you to turn to two scriptures this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and uh, any random scripture of your choice. No, I'm kidding. And uh, I think uh, I'm going to read a few, but I think uh, later on we're going to read out of 1 Kings chapter 19. And uh, before my departure, uh, I began a, uh, maybe an unintended series on apostles and prophets. And as I stepped into this series, which came on the heels of another unintended series uh, called Unshakable, if you're a first-time visitor here, we welcome you, by the way. First-time family online audience, we welcome you as well. Thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you to our YouTube people and our Facebook people and our app people and website people and South Africa. I see you watching this morning and California and southern states and northern states and all kinds of stuff. Uh, we're honored that you would join us today in this place. In-house audience, give our online audience a hand. If you're local, get here. God is able. Um, so, as I began to step into this, this series, I guess, uh, it really began to shift in a leadership direction because we're all leaders in some way, in some capacity. Within our sphere of influence, we have the capacity to lead. Why, why do I say that? Because the word says, go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, make disciples of every people group. Thus and therefore, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation, you are now called and commissioned to go and make disciples. And when you are a discipler, you are given a measure of leadership. It's not, I'm not talking about like the shepherding movement of the 70s or the, the you know, the early G12 move, movement, which devolved into these, these authoritarian structures, uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about leading from love and leading people into life. And so we all have to, have, we will all have lessons and tests that we will endure and pass because the God, the God of creation is wanting to call us up to another level. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go up into another level. And so... You know, as I think about the apostles and the prophets, particularly in the New Testament, there's one trait that you will see that is remarkably absent from them, particularly after Pentecost, and that is fear. One man once said that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. I would say we have nothing to fear but God. I have no fear of fear, but I did talk about fear a couple weeks ago, and I, I still have an issue with wasps. Honeybees, I've kind of come into some, you know, uh, we've come to an understanding, and, and bumblebees, 
okay as long as they don't surprise me. I'm good with. But wasps, I, I just don't, I know they still pollinate, they do other things, but they, man, I saw a wasp capture a moth midair and chewed the thing in half by the time they hit the ground. That is not of God. So Jenner, you can have your honeybees, but if you start breeding wasps, I'm out. I like honey. Anyway, so, you know, I'd love to say that I have no fear of anything. You know, I don't fear government agents and hostile nations. I don't fear witch doctors and all of their incantations. I don't fear, you know, kids with the spears in my face. I've experienced all of those things, but man, if I got a wasp in my office, I cannot take my eyes off that thing. I probably need inner healing. People are like, did you get stung really bad when you were little? I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sure I know I got stung, but I'm probably repressing some memory that I need to bring Jesus to. I'll go do a sozo session. They'll be like, yeah, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Oh, I don't see him. He's behind the glass window. I don't know. I, I did sozo training a long time ago. I don't remember how it works, but it's something about Jesus and glass and what, what was that? Take the glass window down. Take the glass window down. Yeah, so I'll do that. But then the wasps might get in. <laughs> I, I know. I, I get it. There's not going to be wasps in heaven. I'm just saying. If there are, they're going to be happy about everything. But here's what I do know. In 1 Timothy 1.7, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, For God gave us a spirit. He gave you a spirit. He gave me a spirit. He gave us a spirit. Not of fear. So if you're walking and existing in fear, you're operating in a spirit that has not been given to you, to you by God. And look, I mean, let's be real. I'm not talking about being stupid, but I am saying that in the last two years, many have allowed fear to grip them. It's reality. If you're offended by that, hear me out, you'll, you'll be more offended as we move along. It's fine. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love. The ESV says self-control. I like that because, you know, oh yeah, 2 Timothy 1, yeah, 2 Timothy 1, 7, it's on the screen. Well, see, you guys got it on the screen. I read it wrong. I just wrote Timothy. I guess I had to guess which letter it was. The, ESV, uh, the New American Standard says power, love, and discipline. Both of those, discipline and self-control, would be well-suited for the people of God, particularly in America. Because we don't want to be disciplined because we're the land of the free. That means we can wake up and do whatever we want. But that's, we're not living in the culture of America. We're living from the culture of heaven because we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In some dimension, that is where we live from. We live from a place of, of rest. That doesn't mean that we lack labor. It doesn't mean that we, work, we don't work hard at things. It just means that we're living from a place of, of assuredness in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. So... 
I don't say this out of condemnation again because Romans 8 verse 1 it says there is therefore now 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 no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus so if you're living in a state of fear you're gripped by fear I'm not here to condemn you I'm here to set you free and so when you look at the apostles and the prophets, again, in the partic particularly in the New Testament, and even more so on the other side of Pentecost, you will not see people who are operating out of fear because that is not a spirit they've been given by God. They are operating out of love, out of power and discipline. Sound mind, I believe, is the NIV. Self-control is the ESV. However you want to phrase it, however you want to shape it, it's yours today. And you can operate from that space, from that place, because you are in Christ. If you're not, we're introducing you to him right now. And we're going to set you free if you want to be free. Some people don't want to be free. You can lead a horse to water, but... Okay. So how do apostles and prophets, how does the fivefold affect who we are in Christ. Now, you know, I've read, you know, the Ephesians 4 chapter and, uh, you know, Paul's teaching to the church in Corinth, and you can go to past messages uh, to, to read that. But what we do know is that there's a fivefold ministry that our people gifts to the church. And so there is the offices within the fivefold. There is the spirit that comes upon you that, so that you can operate in, in one of those primary attributes in the fivefold. And there is the gift. So in this context of, of uh, First Timothy, Second Timothy 1.7, we have... Paul writing to his understudy, Timothy. Now, some people have decided that Timothy was a pastor, even though the word for pastor in the New Testament was only written once. In the entire New Testament, we see the word pastor one time, and that is in the description of the fivefold. But somehow, in the later iterations of the church, by later iterations, I'm talking about 400, 500 AD and on, we decided, and particularly on the other side of the Reformation, we decided that the pastor is the only gift that made it after the dying of the last apostles. Even though we did not attain to the unity of the faith, according to Ephesians describing the fivefold ministry gifts, but that's okay because we want to be safe. We do. People want to be safe. I've told this story many times. He's probably watching this morning, but yeah, I had a friend who's a drummer. He was on the road for eight years. You know, he he is in the studio. Did all the stuff in Nashville, and I was on a tour bus with him back in the late '90s, I believe it was. And and he asked me, "Is God safe?" And I said, "Not for you." It took a few years for God to get him, but God's got him, and he's growing by leaps and bounds now. But sometimes, you know, God is not safe to our flesh, and he might not even be safe to our soul, but he gives you a new spirit. He regenerates you. He takes up residence in you so that your soul realm, which is your mind, your will, and emotions, and your flesh will come under the dominion of your spirit. Because that's where he is, and that's where your new creation is. That's a space of wisdom, communion, and conscience. And so it's from that place that Paul is talking to Timothy, which 
I would say, and either is a stretch. It's a stretch to say that he was a, a pastor. It's a stretch to say whatever else he was. But, but there are other scholars that believe that Timothy was actually a next-generation apostle because he operated as an apostle. And he was given the authority of an apostle. By who? By Paul, because Paul also says, stir up within you the gifts that were given to you by the laying on of hands. So that apostleship or the gifting is conferred from generation to generation because that's what God, that's how God set it up. I had somebody criticizing me relentlessly on, on social media and they were like, well, you call yourself an apostle. I said, I never call myself an apostle. Papa Che called me an apostle. And there's probably part of me that was trying to get him to not do that. Because your gifting, you could have a card, you can make a business card and say that you're apostle so-and-so or you're prophet so-and-so, but you really don't begin to operate in the office of that until you're recognized as such. And people will say, oh, it's only me and Jesus. It's only, you know, it's man is always getting in the way. Well, no, God uses man to test you and then he uses man to elevate you because he puts people in authority to raise you up, not to put a low ceiling on your gifting, but to raise Raise the ceiling so that you can rise up and be all of who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, I know that many leaders are insecure. I'm not one of those guys. I'm not one of those guys that got to keep everybody under me. Look, I want you to rise up in who you are. I want you to be better at what you do than what and then how I am at what I do. Because it's really about New England. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. It's not about me. It's not about the moment. And it's not even about us in this room. It's about the heritage and the culture of revival in the kingdom that we will leave behind because of what we do today. Just as we stand upon the intercession of ages past. We have what we have because some little old lady in a room that we've never heard of prayed for it generations ago. And men. And men. I mean, amen. And men. But you can say amen. Amen to and men. Am I right? Men's ministry might come home. All the men are going to be here contending Friday night. And we're going to be on time as an example. So, Apophil, apophils. This is going to be a rough morning, guys. I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, what do they call it? Jet lag. Yeah, I can't even come up with words. If they're not here, I can't, I'll say apophils. That sounds like a bakery item. I'd like five apophils, please. <laughs> Can I order the apophil wrap? Apostles and prophets, they tell us who we are in Christ. That's what they do. Evangelists tell us who we can be in Christ. Pastors nurture us in our identity in Christ. And teachers instruct us to walk in who Jesus is so we can walk as we are in Christ. We are here to eradicate fear from your life. We are, we are here to eradicate fear off of the culture of this land. That's what we're here to do. Love tells you who you are. That's what the people of God do. That's what your leadership does. If your leaders aren't doing that, 
I mean, because you're here, we are doing that, just so you know. But I'm just saying, if your leaders aren't doing that, then, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you need to get under other leadership. Or as I talked about in my, my live, uh, Facebook Live on Wednesday night, sometimes God places you under unjust leadership so that you can learn how to operate in honor in circumstances that are not favorable to you. I have experienced that. Been there. All God's people say you could talk to almost any leader in this room right now, and they, no, I would say you can talk to any leader, whether you're in the marketplace or you're a leader in the church or both, any leader that has been elevated has had to operate under an authority that they did not agree with. And you're not always going to agree with me, and I'm fine with that. You can disagree with me, but I will tell you what I think, even if I'm wrong. I might figure out later that I'm wrong, but in the moment I think I'm right, so I'm going to tell you what I think challenge me. No, I'm just kidding. Don't. My brain's not firing well enough for that today. So love tells you who you are, but fear changes you to what you are not. Fear blinds you to possibility. Fear binds you to poverty. Love leads you to prosperity. Love abides with faith and hope. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Love is the highest form of abiding substance in heaven and on earth. It will go beyond the scope of time. It is eternal. These three things, faith, hope, love, and abide, but the greatest of these is love. That means at the fullness of time, we will still be operating in and out of faith, hope, and love. You want to agree with the prayer of Jesus? Kingdom come, your will be done. That means on this realm where we are right now, you've got to love somebody. You've got to love everybody. That's what Jesus did. Even on the cross, even uh, directed toward those who nailed, who struck the nails through his flesh and nailed him to a cross, even though he was unjustly convicted, unjustly accused, unjustly put to death for a crime that he did not commit. Everything about that circumstance was unjust, yet he looked to the Father as he looked down upon those who would uh, persecute him, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they, they don't know what they're doing. Man, if we could do that, if I could do that in rush hour traffic every single time, that person who cut me off or you know, jammed on their brakes at the yellow light because they don't understand that that means go faster. Father, forgive them, for they don't know how to drive. Father, forgive me for having a horrible attitude while I drive. Speaking of driving, I'm in mourning this morning. So I was in L.A. Like, I, I search, and I, I look, my, my wife is smart. She looks at houses every day. I look at cars. Cars are a depreciating asset. Houses are an appreciating asset. Although sometimes if you buy wisely, you can get an appreciating asset as a car, but it's really rare, and I'm not that smart. But my dream car, one of two dream cars, came up, only 701 made between 2007, 2006, and 2010. BMW M6 V10 engine with a standard 
That's 701 in Canada and the United States. And it came up on the market. First one I've seen in two years in New Jersey. And I was ready to call that guy. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this because I got a short week this week, but I got to drive to New Jersey and buy a car. And I woke up this morning to show it to my wife and it was gone. Get thee behind me. <laughs> but that's okay because in Mashpee, Massachusetts, there's a 2011 Lotus Evora S. Hey, it's got a Camry engine. It's reliable with a supercharger on it. And it's a stick shift. I'm just jonesing for a stick shift. It's probably going to happen. Anyway. Yeah, I want a stick shift on a car that runs, which may not be the BMW M6 anyway, but I, I was ready to take my chances. Even if I let it, I don't care about gas prices. Give me those fossil fuels, I'll burn them up. Don't get me on the oil discussion, because I, I had meetings with people last week about that. Anyway. The enemy is on a mission. We're on a mission. But you gotta understand if the, we're on a mission, he's on a mission. His mission is to keep us bound in fear. Fear focuses on self and displaces love. This is why it's such a big problem. Look, when I got a wasp in my office, I ain't thinking about ministering to you. I'm just saying. I was having a conversation with Jeremy in my office. We were talking about important stuff because everything we do here is incredibly important. I don't know what we were talking about, but I'm sure it was important. But once I looked up and I saw this very cold and sickly wasp up on the ceiling tile, I could barely look at him anymore. I lost sight of what we were talking about. I lost sight of the mission. I lost sight of everything. Everything that I was was wrapped up in this little six-legged beast from hell that was grappling with the ceiling tile just to the left of my desk. I say that in jest, but it's fairly accurate, and that is what fear does. So much of the church in the last two years lost her mission. Let's be real. We lost our mission. And I identify with the church across the nation. I was talking to Nancy Dozier a little bit ago, and, and we're going to do an event with her in August. And she was talking about the churches in her area. And I've talked to people all across the nation. And I've talked to pastors even in New England. In one case, I had to look at one pastor and say, you have made COVID your God. I don't have time to have filters. But what I do have time for is to say that anything that you hold between your face and his becomes your idol. What are you worshiping? What are you spending the most time focusing on? There's grace. Believe me, there's grace on the other side of it, but I'm just saying that we lost two years of mission as the church of Jesus Christ. Not every church. 
And I don't even know, I mean, we, we constantly, at least I constantly self-assess and I constantly think about what we could have done differently. What were some of the things that we could have done better in this unprecedented time? Believe me, this has been the most challenging leadership season of my life. And I've led both in business. Look, I led in a, I was a manager in a business. I got screamed at by clients every single day for seven years. Every day, without fail. Every, every day. Every day. Because we had tens of thousands of clients, and if they got to me, they were really unhappy. I had customer service reps that were weeping. I had managers under me that were having nervous breakdowns. You know, by the time these customers got to me, it was a bad scene. And sometimes, you know, I wasn't as gracious as I could be. Sometimes instead of like being a peacemaker, I just did something that, you know, 11-year-old Paul came out and I did said something that just drove the pain in a little bit deeper for that guy. You gonna threaten me with a lawyer? Go ahead, you do that. I don't care who you are. Anyway. Anything that we place between our face and his becomes our idol. For much of the church, it became politics. And here's the thing. I don't, I don't think that we should be outside of politics. God is all about government. He really is. It's the government of God. But it's not about a political party. It's about righteousness peace, joy in the Holy Ghost, but it's about righteousness. And we have the unique opportunity in America to be a part of the voice that speaks for righteousness. That's it. That's the end of the story. And the problem with much of the church is that we have lowered our standard of communication to the voice of the spirit of this age instead of understanding that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and he has given us a grand perspective by which we can speak from wisdom, communion, and conscience. That is to say that we can speak from the realm of spirit. The political spirit will cause us to have back-channel discussions. It'll cause us to rally the troops in secret so that we can garner favor for whatever kind of outcome that we want. I'm not talking about operating from a political spirit. I'm talking about speaking the truth, but in love. There are so many things in our culture that became our God instead of God over the last two years. And much of it was rooted in fear. And the enemy is on a mission to keep us bound in fear. Fear focuses again. It focuses on self and displaces love. When you are operating in fear, when fear has gripped you, then the love for others is suppressed under the weight of fear. And fear attracts the wounded. But the problem is, it allows the wounds to fester rather than fostering the faith to heal. Fear has been striking at the heart of the people of God and fear and faith stem from the same root principle. Some people say that, you know, the opposite of faith is fear, but they really operate from 
the same substance in a sense. It's just that one is under redemption and one flows from the flesh. Each has been given a measure of faith. What we do with it is our choice. Choose wisely. How does this work? Well, fear believes that something that hasn't happened will happen. In my case, I believed that that wasp was going to fly down and chew me in half before it hit the ground, like the moth. It has never happened. As a matter of fact, it's been decades since I've been stung. And the last time I got stung, it really wasn't that bad. And I didn't even think it was a big deal at all until I looked and realized it was a wasp and I got stung. Then all of a sudden, I was emotional about it. It wasn't the pain, it was the realization of the cause of the pain. So fear believes that something that hasn't happened will happen, but faith also believes that something that hasn't happened will happen. The book of Hebrews talks about it. It's the substance of things unseen, things hoped for. I'm not talking about lottery hope. I'm talking about biblical hope, which means that we are assured of a favorable outcome. That means that we know the end of the story already, and we are walking in that trajectory. And so we have placed our hope and our faith in Christ Jesus, and that faith now becomes a substance that activates the atmosphere around us, and so it gives us power to declare with Jesus, your kingdom come crashing down on earth. Your will become fully manifest in the realm, uh, 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 in this realm, everywhere I go, because I've declared that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, on earth as it is in heaven, that is what we will demonstrate. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, both fear and faith and power, they both have laws of attraction, but what you wield is what will manifest in your life. That's what faith does. And that's what fear does. Faith hopes, fear kills. Faith believes the best for people. Fear believes the worst for self. Faith abides, fear despises. One day, Peter denies his relationship with Jesus, and several weeks later, Peter declares Jesus. What's the difference? One day he's operating out of fear. The other day he's operating out of faith. One day afraid, another day brave. What is the difference? In the last days I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. And what, So what you've got to understand that what you fear, you empower. What you focus on, you make room for. All of our founding members said, you know what I'm talking about. See, Peter feared the men questioning him about Jesus, but in obedience, he focused on the Lord for 40 days in an upper room. Then Peter was hit by the spirit who is holy and preached Christ to the city of Jerusalem. One day, Peter shrunk back in fear on the day of crucifixion. But then Peter rose up in power, love, and boldness on the day of Pentecost. And the world was never the same again. When we are talking about the operation of apostles and prophets, when we're talking about the operation of the fivefold ministry gifts to the body, when we were talk when we're talking about leadership in the body of Christ, that is the church. We have to understand that leaders are courageous when fear is present 
until fear is crushed under the weight of the strength of the Lord. I've had so many people say, oh, I want to be a leader. I want this, I want that. People come up to me and say, oh, I'm a prophet. I had somebody years ago when I was still leading worship, they walked up to me and handed me their business card and said they were an apostle. I never heard of them before, never heard of them since. They're on the Cape somewhere, apostling. What? I don't know, but that's fine. People who have been elevated into leadership by the hand of God have demonstrated courage when fear is present until fear is crushed under the weight and the strength of the Lord. In America today, in the church of Jesus Christ today, I would say in the Western world today, the water table of the Spirit has to rise. It was probably 15 years ago that John Paul Jackson said that, and we thought we were in it then. Look, every decade we think we're in the worst decade ever. And anytime someone says to me, well, we're really in the last days now, I just invite them to read in detail first century church history. From the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom has been violently advancing and violent men and women lay hold of it. Another translation says the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and forceful men and women lay hold of it. There has always been violence in the spirit realm on the front leading edge of the kingdom as the king advances. As it is on earth, so it is in heaven. As it is in heaven, so it is on earth. The natural things speak of the invisible. On every front line you in a battle, you will see the most heated fighting. The crazy guys, they want to go to the front lines. The rest of us want to stay away from it. And I've heard people say, well, I just want to be on the cutting edge. We got to understand that the cutting edge of the blade is the most lonely place to be. Go ahead, go home and hold up a sharp knife and you can look at the back of the knife and you can look at the, the, the cutting edge of the knife. The cutting of the edge, edge of the knife is the thinnest part of the blade. When you're on the cutting edge, you might look to the left and you might look to the right and you're not going to see a whole lot of people. But don't look back on the rest of the blade and, and think that they're not as good as you because you need a people, a company of people behind you that will temper the blade so that when the kingdom of God goes to cut something, the blade will not shatter. It will move in health. The spiritual water table has to rise. In 2022, we have got to become more aware of his presence. We have got to become more aware of his goodness. I'm quoting a song right now, but it's true. We've got to get into the place of the river that cannot be crossed. We've been dipping our toes. We get in ankle deep and we think we're in revival. We've got to get into the place where the river cannot be crossed. It cannot be forded. Why? Because that's the place where the river takes control of the direction and the trajectory of our lives. 
And the only way that that happens is if we call for and we allow for the water table of the Spirit to rise in our lives. Do not be satisfied with the mundane. Do not be satisfied with the reports of the day. Do not be satisfied with what you did or what he did yesterday. The Word says, give us this day our daily bread. Not yesterday's bread, not the bread that was poured out in 1995 to 2000 or 2004 or so, not not the bread that was poured out in Azusa Street or the bread that was poured out in Wales. I love those moves of God. I've read about those moves of God. I've gotten impartation by reading about what God did, but it's not. I'm not going back to that place. I'm here in New England in May of 2022 to say, God, your kingdom come, your will fully manifest on earth as it is in heaven. Take the scales off of our eyes, remove every encumbrance, every hindrance, every sickness, every disease, every thought that sets it up against the kingdom of God in our lives. We are on a mission to eradicate fear off of the people of God. See, we're not trying to be like the world. I, you know, look, I've never... I've never really tried that much to be relevant. Relevancy is not a thing for me, if you don't know by now. I mean, you know, my wife dresses me, usually. I mean, not physically, but... (laughs) I'm having surgery soon on my spine. She might be doing that. I don't know. We'll see. But we're not trying to be like the world. See, this is how I've been able to fly around the world and minister to all kinds of cultures. I have never once made phone calls or read about, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing to do, I'm just saying this is not how I operate. I never tried to figure out the culture of the land before I went there. I would get there and I would look to heaven and I say, God, what do you want to do today? And let me tell you, whether it's the Bridge Metro West, whether it's hostile Asian nations, whether it's tribal areas with dung floor huts where they've never seen a white dude, it feels the same because it's the kingdom of God. When you operate from the place and the space of the kingdom of God, then it doesn't matter who you're talking to. You understand that the kingdom of God is not mere talk, but it is of power. I don't want to live a a gospel that has a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. When you understand what you carry, when you understand that in one hand you carry a lamp, in the other hand you carry a trumpet, in one hand you have the light, in the other hand you have the sound, it doesn't matter where you are because when you speak the name of Jesus something will happen 100% of the time so we're not trying to be like the world especially in America I don't want to be like the culture of the land we are demonstrating heaven until the world wants to be like us did I say us well why didn't you say be like Jesus Because it's Christ in us, it's Christ in me that is the hope of glory. And by hope, I mean the absolute expectation of the manifest glory of God being spilled out on earth. 
Focus on Jesus and empower him in your life. Focus on Jesus and watch him work through your life. And Mo Moses said this in Exodus 14, 13. He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. You will, just, you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. And the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Those of us who have studied together here some in my office, we understand that the word for Egypt means the narrow place. We all go through narrow places in our lives. We all go through the squeezing, the pressing. We all go on a journey where God is trying to relieve us and eradicate from us an orphan and a slave mentality. We were once a slave to the laws of sin and death, but now we are set free in the law of sin, uh, the law of grace and life. But when you've been enslaved to something for so long and we understand that there's power in the name of Jesus to break off every chain, the chains around your ankles might be broken, but you're so familiar in what you've been bound with for years, you don't understand that you can step out. There's more fear of freedom than there is of your captivity because it's all you've ever known. Don't worry, we got ministry teams for that. Do not be afraid, Bridge Metro West, over the last two plus years. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. And the narrow place you see today, you will never see again. But here's the thing. We want to operate in such a way that we provoke the world to jealousy. That means that they see something better in us than what they got going on. And so in a sense, yes, they want to be like us as we are being like him. Even Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's never been just me and Jesus. God has always used humanity and all of our flaws and all of our weaknesses. I mean, Paul was the chief persecutor of the church. And then he became the chief apostle that brought the gospel to the, the Gentiles. That's most of us. When we get to heaven, we all ought to be like patting Paul on the back. Oh, I'm so thankful you did that. So God has always used people. Here, here's the deal. Jesus ascended. He's really not in the business of doing our work for us unless we absolutely aren't doing the work. I mean, he's going to accomplish his will one way or another, but he wants to do it through you. And yes, I love the stories where Jesus, or has, as he's known as Isa, who, who he reveals himself into uh, by dreams in Muslim nations. We're hearing report after report after report. I personally met two who Jesus sovereignly ap appeared to them either in a dream or in a vision. And they received Christ in that moment. Not because they were handed a, a track and not because they were given the four spiritual laws, but because Jesus showed up. So he can do that. I love those stories. I love the stories where Jesus appears to people in hostile nations and, 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 and tribal areas and all kinds. I love all of those stories. But the primary way that God wants to move from the garden until now is through his sons and his daughters. 
See, Jesus already won the victory. He came and did the work. He was born in a manger. He walked the earth. At 30, he began his ministry. He had a robust three-year ministry before he died. And then he rose. And then he walked around for 40 more days, freaking some people out here and there. It's great. I, you know, I'd love to be part of that party. And then he ascended. Now you are the plan hatched out of the war rooms of heaven. You, in the sphere that you are in right now, are the plan hatched from the war rooms of heaven. You are the atmosphere of heaven that God placed upon this ground for such a time as this. When you go to work, whether it be today, whether it be tomorrow, you are the plan of God hatched in the war room of heaven. There are people that he will put in your midst. And you know, some people you're not gonna like but you're called to love them because it's those people, it's the worst of people that, that are sometimes the most passionate about their anger, about their offense, about their fear, about their woundedness, whatever it is. It's those people that when they are transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, they're the ones that will go into all the world and declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand because they've already got the boldness to speak their mind. It's just that in one season it was outside of redemption and maybe enraptured by fear, but now it's enraptured by the light and the love of a living God. You are the plan. Not me. Not somebody else. It's you. We will not be successful in going to all the world if his church doesn't have the courage to go into their own spheres right now and demonstrate not just the idea of Jesus. I'm okay with apologetics, but some people are all about apologetics. I, I don't engage people in arguments. I engage people with Jesus. Now, we have to understand what we believe. I get that. I understand that. But... The kingdom of God is not mere talk, it's power. A demonstration of the reality of the power of God will break every intellectual mindset. So we're not going to be successful in going to all the world if we are not demonstrating the power of Christ where we are right now. Because you are the plan of God hatched in the war rooms of heaven right now. That's why Jesus died. We will not be successful in going to all the world if his church doesn't learn to stand firm and where they are today. Fear not. Be not afraid. 
You will see those phrases dotted from Genesis to Revelation. Why? Why is there so much focus on not being afraid, fearing not? To, to Even when God comes and moves in power and you see people fall on their faces as though dead and God or the angel of the Lord says, stand up, don't be afraid. Stand up in your experience. Stand up before me. Come up here and I will show you things that are to come. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Why? Because fear is the thing that is afraid of something that might happen to you if you actually turn your eyes to Jesus. Fear is the thing that will keep you bound in yourself instead of going into all the world. But faith will call things that are not as though they are until we see it fully manifest on the earth. And that's why there's such a focus. There's all kinds of arguments and theological arguments about how many times does the Bible say fear not a lot of, you know, website and blogs say it's 365 times and then other scholars say well it's only 111 or 119 times and I don't know how many times it is I just know that it's a lot I tried to figure it out I did all kinds of queries and this like and I don't even care about our translations I want to see the original language here's what we know he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, 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 and discipline to wield the right substance. But yet the greatest among us have fallen into fear. It's happened. Elijah in the Old Testament, Peter in the New Testament. John Piper said this, God takes great delight in putting his name at stake in your destiny. He'll use the foolish things to confound the wise. Here I am. So we're coming into a crash close here out of 1 Kings chapter 19. And if you don't know what happened in chapter 18, read it. Not right now, but I'll tell you a little bit about it in a moment. 19 verse 1, 1 Kings 19 verse 1, it says this, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a, a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then... He was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Here's why this is crazy. Elijah had just won in chapter 18. He had been part of one of the greatest demonstrations of God's power. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He rebuilt it with 12 stones. He dug a trench around the altar. He cut the ox. He arranged the wood. He called for four pitchers of water to be poured on the altar. Oh, that wasn't enough. Send me another four. Another four pitchers of water to be poured on the altar. Oh, that's not enough. Hey, give me four more. Four more. I'm not talking about like the little pitchers in your kitchen. I'm talking about big pitchers of water. Another four. Twelve stones. Twelve pitchers of water poured over the 12 stones where the wood and the ox lie. 
he gave the prophets of Baal that challenge. You call your God down on your altar and I'll call mine down on mine. It's what I like doing when certain missionaries of aberrant faiths show up at my door. I'm like, okay, you pray for me. I'll let you pray for me if you let me pray for you. I did that once. I think they were Jehovah's Witness. And as soon as I said that, this little Volvo station wagon came tearing up the street and stopped, and those girls were out of there like that. I don't know if they were mic'd up or what. It was their second time at my house because I talked to them the first time. And I was like, oh, and I could feel the anointing in the moment. They were being drawn in by the Spirit of God. And they were about to get whacked. That's why I love that story. Elijah's given that challenge. He's putting his life on the line. And you got to understand, we read this in, in 1 Kings 18, and we kind of read through. We gotta, this is not a, a, a fast process. He built the altar stone by stone. He had to cut the ox, which was a bloody process. He had to arrange the wood. He had to call for four pitchers of water. They came and dumped it. And then they had to go back and get four more. And they came and dumped it. They had to go back and get four more. And they came and and dumped it. This was a, a deliberate process that took place over time. It was a deliberate execution of the plan of God in this moment. Then he called for God to send fire upon the altar drenched with water. And even the priests of Baal bore witness to the power of the living God. In that moment, the fire falls, consumes the altar. Elijah had all the momentum. Elijah had the favor of the people. The prophets were saying, surely the Lord God is the one true God. It takes a demonstration of power to shake us out of the normalcy of our religious lifestyles. It takes a demonstration of power to shake us from the intellectual mindset that has gripped the land, particularly in our region. Yet by one word of Jezebel, Fear struck the heart of the prophet. He was afraid. He arose and he ran for his life. In one moment, he was running by the strength of the Lord. Just a few verses prior, he, the Spirit of God comes upon him and he outruns Ahab and his chariots all the way to Jezreel. Why? Because he was running for the Lord. And the next moment, he's running for his own life. He's not moving quite as sprightly. Not moving quite as efficiently. Because he was afraid and out of fear, he arose. Isaiah the prophet says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. In this case, Elijah arose because Jezebel had come. And this is Elijah. These are the days of Elijah. 
the spirit of Elijah, one of the most revered prophets. If it can happen to him, it can happen to you. If you fall into fear, if you have given yourself over to timidity, that's that 2 Peter 1.7 in the New American Standard Version says, he has not given us a spirit of timidity. A lot of times in the kingdom and in churches all across America, I see people operating in timidity in the name of humility. We're so unaware of what the will of God is that we're constantly praying, if it be your will, instead of declaring his will like he said in the prayer that he gave to the apostles. If you've tried to run away from the hard thing that he has called you to, he will find you. Especially if you have a praying mom. Hi. I had my people out in California trying to teach me how to praise break again. You don't want to see it. Like, I, I don't know how y'all do it. Like, I, I, the whole, if I ever, like, I just, I can't. I don't have that kind of, they laugh at me. They make fun of me. But they're my family and I love them. I tried to run away from God. I did. Summer after eighth grade, I stood on my front lawn, shook my fist at God. Summer after eighth grade, junior high, shook my fist at God and said, leave me alone. He never did. As angry as I tried to be, as bad as I tried to be, everywhere I went, everywhere I turned, his goodness drew me to repentance time and time again. So if you've fallen into fear, don't worry, he's going to find you. He will bring you what you need and say, arise, eat. For now the journey is too great for you. Why is the journey too great for you? Because you've fallen into fear. But he will still give you what you need to get to the other side. And he will lead you back to the mountain of the Lord. You're going to read 1 Kings 18. You're going to understand what I'm talking about. The mountain of the Lord, Mount Horeb. The root word for Horeb is the sword. It's the mountain of the sword where God comes in and divides between the issues of soul and spirit. He divides in, in you between the identity that you've taken on and the identity that he has spoken to you and over you. He wants to cut off the old man. And in the cutting, sometimes there's a little bit of pain involved, but it's always better on the other side. And when he leads you to the place where he is, we'll call it the mountain of the Lord. Instead of meeting him on the mountaintop, you might want to go hide in a cave. You read that passage. People, I prophets tell me all the time, well, the, the Lord has me in the season of the cave. I'm in the cave. I'm in the cave. Look, there's nothing in that passage that says the Lord told him to go in the cave. So don't tell me you're in a cave. You're in a cave because you put yourself there. Not because he put you there. If you're going to use that reference, I'm going to use the word of God. The way that it was written. And believe me, you guys know I love my cave. I love my man cave. A little too much. I like it down there, especially on Sunday afternoons. But if you've been in a season of the cave, it's because you put yourself there. Because pretty much every other meeting that happened on Mount Horeb either happened at the base or it happened at the top. And there was always a demonstration of the power of God. 
But that's fine. Go hide in her cave. He'll still find you. Hide all that you want. This is what Calvin called irresistible grace. I'm not all up in Reformed theology, but I happen to agree with that, that there's just times where God comes upon you and you cannot resist him even if you tried. He'll find you and he'll speak to you even in the midst of your misery, of your pain, of your fear, of your lack. Because he calls and he takes the broken and lifts them to higher places because then he gets the glory. So Elijah's hiding in a cave on the other side of victory. Now he's running in fear. And God moved on the mountain and a wind came. And it, I'm not, it was a wind. It was a wind that cut rocks. But God wasn't in the wind. But he passed by, and then a fire came, and a fire burned the rocks. But he, he, wasn't, he wasn't in the fire. It was just the evidence of where he had already been. And then a gentle blowing breeze. Then a low whisper. Translations struggle to translate this, but we know it as the still, small voice. And he says, prophet, what are you doing in this place of fear? Will you hear his voice speaking to you in that season, or will you look for him in the ways that he moved in a previous one? See, this is what God was doing. See, in chapter 18, God came with fire. God came with a demonstration. And then in chapter 19, God's dropping fire again. But he wants to see if the prophet will discern what he is doing. And so in 18, God comes with a roar. In 19, he comes with a whisper. A still Small voice. Why are you hiding in the place of your fear? Jesus became love fulfilled and perfectly manifested on earth. And we know that out of 1 John chapter 4, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love eradicates fear. Perfect love cancels the accusation of the enemy. Perfect love empowers you to rise up in your destiny. Yeah, I said your destiny because you are the plan of God hatched in the war rooms of heaven today. Jesus ain't coming to do the work for you. He's sending you to do the work for him. And we don't have to operate out of a spirit of fear because that's not what he's given us. Love, power, power. Power. Somebody say power. power. And if you're living still in trepidation as we move through the waves of cultural unrest, not only in this nation, but around the world, 
and you still feel inhibited or, or what Mama Verna talked about being stuck and Cindy Jacobs talked about being stuck. If you're feeling that way, the Lord is coming to you right now. And I believe today, both in this room and online and whenever you hear the sound of this message, God is breaking the chains of fear off of you today because you are the plan of God hatched in the war rooms of heaven and that plan will not properly be executed if we are shrinking back in fear. That's why Hebrews 10.39 says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are a people of faith that preserve their souls. That's why Deuteronomy 20 verse 1 says, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. And again in Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Where else have we heard those words? And then again, he says, well, he says that. Do not be afraid. So when you feel outnumbered, when you feel like you've come under the pressure in your job or under the unrest in your community, when you feel like you are facing impossible odds and what God has asked you to do, if you follow him, if you obey, if you allow yourself to be saturated in his love, even as he touches you in the place of your pain, oh, you're not going to be obnoxious. You're going to be courageous, though. You will be loving, you will be kind, you will be gentle, you will be patient, you will demonstrate the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit. You will not walk under a spirit of fear, you will rise up in power, love, and discipline, and you will be in good company among the armies of the Lord. Let's stand. I don't know, maybe next week I'll speak more on Gideon, but I love this. In Judges chapter 7, we're down to 300 in the army. It's not favorable odds. It doesn't look good. But something moved, not only upon Gideon, but upon those who followed him. It was the word of the Lord. 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 What is the word of the Lord over your life right now? The things that he has already spoken. And what are the things that have kept you bound in fear? Move from fear to faith. There's power in the name and the blood of Jesus to break every chain. Perfect love has come and been perfected in the cross of Jesus. And so those chains are broken right now. It's just time to step out. Step out of that fear. Step out of that pain. Step out of your weakness and step into him because his power will be perfected in the weak places of your life. How does he do that? He brings people around you who are strong where you are weak. That's what it means when every joint supplies. That's why we gather. That's why we come into proximity and intimacy and a physical space because every joint joint supply. So when you come in on that one day where you just can't get outside of yourself, you just can't step into worship, God will place people around you who have the lamp in one hand.
hand and the trumpet in another hand and they will wield the light and the sound of the living God and that will pull you out of the muck and mire just as God has plucked us out of the deep pit and he's put us in higher places. Every joint supplies. The chains are broken. Would you step out of them today? And so in those impossible odds, we see in Judges 7.20, and the three companies blew the trumpets and they broke pitchers and held lamps in their left hands and trumpets in their right hands to blow when they cried, the sword of the Lord and Gideon, the sword of the Lord and the people of God that you have placed on earth for such a time as this, the, the people that have been hatched in the war rooms of heaven to bring the kingdom of God right here in New England. Could it be that through you and me, another great awakening is happening on the land? I gotta say yes, I gotta say yes, but you got to take off the garments of fear and put on a garment of praise. You've got to uh, rest yourself, wrestle yourself from a place of silence and get to the place where you're shouting from the mountaintops, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is the Son of God, and He came, and He died, and He rose, and He ascended to the right hand of the Father. You know, there are people that say, hey, you, you're, you're not operating out of the Spirit of God. You're operating off of some other spirit. Well, the book of, uh, the letter of, of John, 1 John, it talks about how to discern. And he says this, if you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, I just did it. So let there be no mistake. I also had a prophet years ago that said, people will brand you a heretic one day. So I feel like I've arrived. But people come, can come to me about their ideas about a God and I will come and demonstrate the reality of God. Would you go there with me today? It's the light and the sound. It's the light and the sound. How do you break out of fear? Sometimes you just gotta pick up the light and release the sound. I, I say it every week, there's a sound that he put in you. Release your sound, release your sound. Jeremy will encourage you to release your sound, release your sound because it's in you and it's not relative to the mood that you're in. It's something that he placed in your belly when he called you by name and he said, I'm gonna tabernacle in the hearts and in the, the lives of mankind, of the sons and daughters, the men and women of God. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You got to understand that same spirit, the same, not, not a junior spirit, not another spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is dwelling in you. So if that God is for you, who can be against you? If you ask that God for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, quickening you now from the inside out. Close your eyes right now. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would re release your spirit in this room, that you would release your angelic in this room, fiery flaming swords from the front to the back, from the back to the front. Lord, cutting off chains of fear, cutting off chains of sickness, cutting off chains of hopelessness, God, and crafting us in to your light and your sound today. Oh, come Holy Spirit. Oh, come Holy Spirit. Oh, come Holy Spirit. Fire fall, fire fall. 
is here for you right now. That impartation is here for you right now. But you got to engage him with the sound. Oh, step out of your timidity. Step out of your fear and begin to release that sound. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be religious. It just has to come from the heart. And as you release your sound, freedom comes. Empowerment comes. What you focus on, you make room for. What you fear, you empower. Fear the Lord. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The awe of God. The awe of God. The awe of God comes when the reality of his presence hits you square in the face. Oh God, I speak encounter in this room right now. I speak encounter in this room right now. Oh, let the shaking come from the inside out. Let the shaking come from the inside out. Oh, lift your sound, lift your sound, lift your sound. Even if you haven't released that sound yet, there's people around you that are. Step into the atmosphere that they're releasing. Oh, trust, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding on this moment. Trust in the Lord your God, trust in the Lord your God. Yes, as we continue to release that sound, I want to call the ministry teams up. Come quickly, come quickly, come quickly. Yes, don't stop, don't stop, don't get distracted, don't get distracted. Okay, ministry teams, now, come now, come now, come now. Yes, if God is doing a work in you right now, I want you to come to the front. I want us to break this off. I'm going to pray one prayer. I'll release the teams to pray. If you need physical healing, we're going to pray for you. You need deliverance, we're going to pray for you. You need God to just come and bring a breakthrough over your life, we're going to pray for you online, bridgemetrowest.com forward slash ministry rooms. We've got ministry teams ready for you right now. We will prophesy over you. We will interpret dreams. We will bring deliverance to you because it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now all around this room, release that sound. Oh, let it come up. Let it come up out of your belly. A fresh baptism of fire. A fresh baptism of your love. Okay, we're going to see a victory in this room right here, right now. We're going to see a victory in this room right here, right now. Yes. Yes. Oh, perfect love come, perfect love come, perfect love come, perfect love come, perfect love come. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And if you're here or you're online and you don't know this Jesus that we're talking about, I just invite you to say yes to him. 
I'm not going to even pray with you today in your own words. Just say yes to him. God, I want to know you. Just step into that. Step into that. Step into that. I don't care if you know everything about him. Do you know him? Do you walk inside his name? Do you walk inside his voice? Oh, there's so much available for you. There's so much available for you in his name and in his spirit. Now come. God, once again, I'm asking a fresh baptism of your fire and your love. Your fire and your love. God, we want to be the Peter on the other side of Pentecost. We're not denying you three times, but we're standing up out of our experience and we're going to release the gospel of the kingdom everywhere that we are because we are your plan. We are your plan A. Plan A is here right now and it's got your name on it. Oh, let boldness come. Let hope come. Oh, let faith come. Let it rise up. Yes, and so right now, I want you to respond to the word. I know there's not a ton of people here today, but some of y'all need prayer. <laughs> a lot of y'all, all y'all need prayer. And so I'm going to invite you to come. The worship team is going to sing over you. But come and get your freedom today. Why? It's, I'll be happy for you, but I'll be happy, happier for those who get freedom through the testimony of Jesus that rises up from you today. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would seal this time in your spirit, that nothing would escape, Lord. Everything that you've deposited, let it continue to drive deep. Lord, I bind the enemy. I bind the the, the, uh, the little foxes that would come to steal even one letter of your word that was deposited today, God. Lord, and I ask that you would cast them from each person that is here right now, that you would lead each one under the shadow of your wing in a bubble of grace where you can do the work and lead them to your face right here, right now, and in the days to come. Lord, don't let us escape you. God, would you come and just lead us to your face everywhere we turn. As much as we try to run and hide in the cave, Lord, would you come and meet us where we are. Don't let us escape. Don't let us hide. Come with your voice. Come with your wind. Come with your fire. Come with your oil. Come with your water. Come with all that you are, God. But would you come and let your fire fall upon your offerings today in Jesus' name. This is how we close. We got coffee in the back, good coffee, not church coffee. If your kids are in the classes, you got a couple minutes to receive prayer, but then you got to go and retrieve them. Love you guys. Bless you. See you Friday for worship and prayer. Come, come and get your freedom today. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.